guys. So welcome back to the Black and Empowered podcast. Um, today we have a very, very, very special episode. Um, this episode is very special to me, but this is also the start of a new series. Um, so we're starting a series called the Black Women Academic Series. Um, and so this series will center around us introducing Black women academics, um, and we'll have multiple episodes where they talk about their experiences as Black women in academia, how they're maintaining that balance, how they're thriving, how they're succeeding, just dropping all the gems about being a Black woman in academia. Um, so that's what we're doing. We'll have a few more episodes in this series, so y'all stay tuned, continue to listen. Like I said, this is one that's near and dear to my heart. So I hope you all enjoyed the episode. <laughs> we are so excited to have two very special guests with us here today, Dr. Jasmine Abrams and Dr. Natalie Watson Singleton. We're gonna start off with one of my most favorite parts of the show. This is our icebreaker segment. It is, oh, actually, so Jasmine, you know this. We played this when we went on the Writing Well retreat. It is the Song Association Challenge. So I literally, <laughs> anytime I meet people, anytime we have some quiet time, I'm like, oh, let's play the Song Association Challenge. It's super fun, um, super low pressure. All you do is we're going to take turns saying a word. We'll pick out who we want to challenge and we'll just say a random word. And that person has 10 seconds to sing a song with the word that the person says in either the title or the lyrics. So I I, I'm feeling the pressure. <laughs> right? Like, ooh, okay. All right. It usually goes one of two ways and both are perfectly acceptable. So usually you're going to have either 10 songs that immediately come to mind and you're going to be overwhelmed or you're going to freeze and you're not going to know what. Um, but you got 10 seconds. So go through that entire process, feel the feels and then see what comes to you. Um, and if you blank, that's fine. It's, it's just, fine. No penalty. Yeah. No penalty. You know, okay. We'll help if each you other blank. out, you know, afterwards. We give you a song. It's great. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. Right. So if you blank, typically what we do is we'll say, okay, what I was thinking was, or you could say, mm -hmm, and then if you mm -hmm. want to sing it, no points, no money, no cash prizes. It's all just <laughs> for fun. Um, I'm gonna pick on Brianna just to give an example. And I always use oh, the same brother. first word. So I'm going to choose a different first word today. Um, it's very similar though. My word is heart. 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 Yes. Yeah. Why you couldn't say love? Um, I always say love. <laughs> heart. Heart. No, no, he say love in that song. I don't know. Time is yeah. up. Yeah, baby, I don't know. <laughs> what song you were thinking of? Had a song. I have a song in my head. Of course. I, honestly, I was like, I have one. Uh, um, I was thinking I don't want to be a broken-hearted girl, but I can't. Ca okay, I Beyonce. Okay. 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 Hearted works. Hearted works. I was thinking, <laughs> is this Elvis Presley? Don't go breaking my heart. My girl. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, understand. There it is. <laughs> oh my gosh. Mm. professional yeah i ain't okay. like that one that wasn't i'm feeling i'm feeling real uncultured right about that <laughs> okay i said elvis i don't even know no elvis songs come mm. on achy breaky heart we love it okay Please. so now brianna's gonna pick on somebody who you want to give a word uh i'm gonna give a word to, 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 to dr abrams <laughs> i've been thinking about this all day i've been preparing um Bank. The word is bank. I have absolutely <laughs> no. She got me too. Bank. Bank. Mm -hmm. Bank. Mm -hmm. Cash me out. Take it to the bank. I also will freestyle a song. What is the song that has bank? <laughs> What's the song? He be. Oh, whose song is it? Not you had a song. I got money in the bank. Shawty, what you drink? That song? You know what song I'm talking about? Okay, well. 
Maybe I'm a little too young for this crowd. Sorry. <laughs> because when you say that, now I was thinking T-Pain, I'm going to buy you a drink, but he don't say bacon. I was thinking, I was thinking 50 Cent. Like 50 Cent must have rapped about a song that has bacon in it. But I don't know. That's on Wow. Okay. Negative five for a song that doesn't exist, but I think that is a song. It does. It does exist. That's a little scrappy, Amy. Yeah, give me one more. Give me one more. Jasmine said, "Hold on, let me redeem myself." Okay. Um. Ooh. Money. Now, see, we come across the more <laughs> problems we see. Hey, I, I don't know. Come on, get what? Get what? Get what? Yes. Okay, so now it's my turn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, Natalie, let's do video. I'm not the average girl from your video. Ain't that? India. Okay, okay. I went straight to Beyonce. Right, I know. We'll video fun. Right. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I went straight to Beyonce. Okay. I, I do. I do exist on a board sort of deal. So top we of take India. Ari, we love. We love. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. So then I are we, are we still going? Yeah. You give a mm-hmm. word. So who has it? Oh, I think you, you? have to me. I you I have to. Yeah, I do have to. Yeah, I do have to choose you, Aisha. So, uh-huh. I've been I've been feeling the pressure this whole time. It wasn't even my work. Okay, go. Red. R e d or r e a d. R e d. Red. Come to my door. Take off my clothes and turn on the red light. Come on. Baby is yours. That's actually a great oh, tie to Dr. Abrams' research. We love pleasure. Yes. We love pleasure. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent round, ladies. Thank you so much for participating. That was my heart is warm. I appreciate y'all. Thank you. So we do want to formally introduce you. We do want to give you your flowers before we even start talking about how we know each other and how we know um, ourselves and our academic journeys. So I will start by, do you guys want to introduce yourselves or you want to start you up a little bit? Like that. Let's do it like that. I'm gonna do Dr. Abrams and then Brianna, you can introduce Dr. Watson Singleton. So boom, boom, boom. Why do I do sound effects so much? Help me, Father God. I would love to take the distinct pleasure and honor of introducing Dr. Jasmine Abrams. She's an assistant professor of community health sciences currently at Boston University School of Public Health. And she's affiliate faculty in the Center of Interdisciplinary Research on AIDS at the Yale University School of Health. Dr. Abrams earned her BS in psychology from Virginia State. She got an MS and a PhD in health psychology from Virginia Commonwealth University. She is a an international behavioral research scientist. She's fiercely dedicated to sexual health promotion. We just touched on it a little bit when we talked about sexual pleasure, but she is certainly interested in increasing positive health behaviors for women of African ancestry. She conducts domestic um, and international research. She has LLCs and her um, independent businesses around doing data collection. So if you need help collecting your own data with your own participants, she does that. She also is founder and director of Thrive Institute. She does workshops for faculty and graduate students. She hosts writing retreats. She is an entrepreneur. She is an advocate. She is literally the brightest star you have ever seen shining. She is currently on a whirlwind tour of providing opportunities for scholars and activists to really recenter themselves and regain balance in academia that we all know can be so taxing. So 
I want to give a warm welcome and thank you for joining us to Dr. Abrams. Please fill in anything that I left you guys. She's a superstar. I know I left stuff out. She has multiple, multiple, multiple millions of dollars in grant funding. So many important projects. She's going to talk to you guys about how she maintains those as well as the work that she does. Let's go, Dr. Abrams. Thank you. Sheesh. she's amazing wow thank you so very much for that warm introduction you literally left nothing out there's no stone was left unturned you are everything (laughs) thank you i really appreciate all that love so grateful sheesh i said you got her bio memorized good grief this is my hard job clearly honey okay um so i have the distinct pleasure of introducing dr natalie watson singleton okay so let me tell y'all a quick story when i say dr watson singleton means so much to me y'all don't even understand so dr watson singleton uh i met her at spellman um i was in undergrad of course and i was figuring out what i wanted to do with my life where I wanted to be. Um, And at the time there were no clinical faculty at Spelman. And she was one of the first people to come and be a clinical faculty member at Spelman. Instantly I gravitated towards her. Um, And it just so happened that I was taking a class and was gaining interest in the strong black womanhood schema. And that's the work that she was doing. And from there it was up and it's been stuck since then. Um, She is truly like superhuman, like not even being funny, like, I look up to her so much. Um, So right now, she's an assistant professor at Spelman. She is also a licensed clinical psychologist in Georgia. So if you're looking for somebody, let me tell you, she's going to get you together. So check her out. Uh, She also is a faculty member um, at Emory um, through the Grady Nia Project. So she does a lot of community work. She also is interested in the strong black womanhood schema, but also more specifically in mindfulness and how we can integrate mindfulness into the black community. She developing an app y'all and it's fine. So y'all need to get the app when it's out. She is everything and anything. Like when when you wanna be somebody in clinical psychology, like you wanna be like her for real. Um, She's just, oh, I could go on and on all day, but like truly she's like OG mom to me. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her pouring into me. And this, that's why I said this series is near and dear to me because all my mama's in the same room, all the women that's been pouring into me and y'all don't get it. Y'all just don't feel it because she's amazing. All these women are amazing, but she's amazing. Thanks so much, Brianna. That means so much. And again, thank you all for having me here. We love Dr. Watson Singleton. So Brianna just started. She gave a little teaser of how we're connected. So Dr. Watson Singleton was her mentor in undergrad. Um, I met Dr. Watson Singleton, I think two years ago, we were at either ABCT or ISTSS. We were at a conference and Brianna connected us after I was just at her talk to see her talk. And it was amazing as they all are. Um, And since then we've been collaborating. She has introduced me to some of her collaborators. So when we talk about networking, uh, this is how connections are made. Dr. Abrams and I met in 2016. We were both scholars at Yale in an intensive transformative summer program. We became sisters immediately and have collaborated and continue to just love each other and pour into each other since then. And so Brianna talked very briefly about Dr. Watson Singleton's interest in strong Black womanhood. So Brianna just brought us all four together as Dr. Abrams um, had collected some data previously on strong Black womanhood. And Brianna used that data for her first year project. So um, that's a part of her doctoral program. And we just submitted that for publication. And Dr. Watson Singleton, come on, let's go is the one who came in and just, when I tell you, polished that baby off and added all the implications that okay, we Okay, bodied it. I said, Bodied sheesh. the paper. So this podcast is really a culmination of all of our relationships, but also just the overlapping uh, research interests that we have and certainly the overlapping love that we have for the work that we do. Um, so we did want to start today's interview by just asking you about your own individual journey. So what made you want to do work 
and you can talk about strong black womanhood, but also just talking about the populations that you are engaging with in your research and your clinical work. Uh, whoever wants to go first could just jump on in. I can start. My, my introduction into strong black woman schema really started in undergrad. And so it's interesting too, to think about me uh, mentoring and being a uh, academic advisor for uh, Brianna in her undergraduate journey. So the undergrad institution that I went to, University of Dallas, required that we did junior thesis and a senior thesis. And the junior thesis was quantitative in nature and the senior thesis was qualitative in nature. And for my senior thesis, I did a qualitative study that was just about asking Black women what it meant to be Black women. And one of the things that was interesting about that is across all of the women that I interviewed, despite how they differed in terms of region, age, socioeconomic background, all of them talked about the importance of strength, that like strength was a a vital attribute to how they understood their lives as Black women. And when I got to graduate school, I was like, I feel like there's something here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I want to fully understand what this strength thing means, and particularly how it shapes uh, our health, our health decisions, and particularly our decisions to seek psychological services or not. And so that's kind of how my interest in strong Black womanhood kind of evolved. And then getting into mindfulness was being a strong Black woman or a recovering Mm. strong Black woman in graduate school, was introduced to mindfulness in my third year of graduate school. And I just remember going to my first mindfulness retreat and the facilitator talking about, or she offered us the affirmation, may I be kind to myself. Mm. And I was struck immediately Mm. by all of the ways in which my socialization as a strong Mm. Black woman, my socialization as a graduate student fostered Mm. unkindness. Wow! And so Mm. that kind of initiated this journey into what if mindfulness is one anecdote to strong mm. Black womanhood schema. And it's just been an exciting journey to um, explore these topics. And then now to be a faculty member at Spelman that just really values and celebrates Black womanhood to be at an institution where that work is also valued on multiple levels. Wow. Wow. Okay. And you're next. <laughs> Yeah, thank you for sharing that, um, Natalie. I really appreciate it. And our journeys are not very different from each other. Um, The only difference is sort of the path to getting there. So my interest in Strong Black Womanhood was sort of happenstance. Um, I, when I started my doctoral program, my mentor was working. She was already sort of knee deep in a research study focused on better understanding gender roles among Black women, um, gender role views, and the implications those views might have for their partnership decisions and even their health and well-being. And uh, a friend had suggested, you know, when you start school, like ask your mentor what you can help with so you can hit the ground running getting involved. And um, I did, and she was like, oh, you can help me do these qualitative um, like interviews and focus groups and about gender roles and I was like okay so I was just there as a note taker and we asked everybody the same questions about similar questions about what does it mean to be a woman what does it mean to be a black woman Um, what are the roles and responsibilities of black women and the last question was what does it mean to be a strong black woman Mm. and in every single focus group before we even asked that question similar to Natalie's experience women were already talking about the importance Mm. of strength in their life and what it meant to be a strong Black woman even before we asked. Um, And the sort of shifting moment for me that made me think I want to pursue this further was in one of the focus groups, one of the women was talking about the overwhelm associated with being a strong Black woman and how Mm -hmm 
there's also a lot of guilt that comes with putting yourself before other people. Mm -hmm. And so that's how you end up engaging in this self-sacrificial care. And I remember her saying, you know, you do this for years and years and years, putting everybody else before yourself and putting your needs on the back burner. And then after all these years, that's when the health problems come. And that's when, you know, she talked about spiritual anorexia. I was in the, in the focus group, like, oh my goodness. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And so I, after that, I was like, well, let's actually investigate quantitatively whether there are health problems that are associated Mm -hmm. with it. And um, I think, you know, it must've been a, a similar time for a lot of researchers because around that same time, a lot of papers were starting to pop up around what it means to be a strong black woman and and what the implications are associated with it. Wow. I really love hearing about the early parts of your journey. And and Dr. Abrams, you just talked about um, your your mentor already being involved in qualitative research and how that kind of made it a seamless transition. Dr. Watson Singleton, could you talk a little bit about, so after you went to that first mindfulness group and you had that aha moment, right? What was that process like? So for those of us, uh, our, of our listeners who are in graduate school, thinking about, you know, their next steps, their thesis projects, even their comps project, do you start with qual data if there's not literature on it? What did your mentor tell you when you just first came to her excited about this uh, new line of research that you wanted to take on? It's so interesting because when you asked, when you first started your question about how did I get started, I thought you were asking about the uh, uh, deconditioning of SBW. Mm. <laughs> oh, <whew>. right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. how did I get started? Oh, there was a lot of internal work. Mm. No, but mm. maybe, mm. maybe we come back. To yeah, that. we need to. We need to. <laughs> right. That's the balance part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But how I got started, I think, again, going back to the importance of building community, building networks, one of the things that I learned quickly in graduate school is that it's important to have mentors and to work alongside your particular mentor. And at the same time, I did not want one person to have a monopoly on who I was that I knew that it was going to be important to forge allegiances and networks even outside of my particular advisor, outside of my department. And it just so happened that I was at um, at University of Illinois, what they called the Black House. This was the uh, Black Student Center. (laughs) And I (laughs) I was given a talk about my work on strong black womanhood Mm -hmm. and someone was like oh have you met Dr. Angela Rose Black she's a new faculty member over in community health Mm. and emailed her we were able to get uh, connected and around that same time she was doing work on mindfulness and black women and I was like I was Mm. just introduced to mindfulness (laughs) and we invited her to come on board to be the reader for my master's thesis. And Mm -hmm. in those conversations, it was like, well, what if the next project Mm -hmm. is to ask Black women about their interest in mindfulness? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I was also doing mindfulness groups at our psychological services center. So those of you all who are in clinical programs, counseling programs, you know, you got to get those (laughs) practical hours. (laughs) And one of the things that I observed it was like, although I had had this meaningful experience with mindfulness, not once did a Black woman or Black person show up in our mindfulness Mm -hmm. groups. And I was struck by that, right? Mm -hmm. So I knew what good mindfulness was doing in my life. I had just connected with this other researcher, Black woman, who was interested in mindfulness and Black women. And I was also having this clinical experience of offering mindfulness and the the folks who I felt like most needed to be in the room weren't there. Mm-hmm. And so was curious about why that was. Wow. Yeah, and I think one thing that's like glaring out at me is also this idea of like me search being research. So a lot of the things that come up for me, even like as a budding research and scholar, like a lot of the things that I immerse myself in are based on my experiences. And so I think for me, it feels really good to hear like from you all that that's a similar kind of trajectory around like, 
I was immersed in this space or I saw myself in this space. And so because of that, that's why I took the next step of like, let me research this. Let me see if this experience resonates for other people. Um, Cause I know like for me, it was definitely one of those situations at Spelman specifically around, like you said, Dr. Watson Singleton, like Spelman prides itself on black women and like in just being the black Mecca for black women, like it prides itself on celebrating and pushing black women to excel, but in some ways to their detriment. And there were not a lot of conversations around what that could look like. And so that was the start for me mm. of like, this is where I see myself in this work. And I also see how my environment and my socialization is impacting me in that way. Um, so I really appreciate that perspective because I feel like people are like, I don't know where to get my research ideas from. But sometimes it's from your own personal experiences that you can find your research ideas. Um, so I really appreciate y'all for highlighting that. Yeah, and um, I think I was oh, I was just gonna say, and like being patient with the process and also being able to rest in the fact that your idea is enough. I think that's also mm-hmm. why we question mm-hmm. our research ideas, because it's wow. like I can have this idea that um that emerges from my lived experiences, from what I know to be true as a black woman, but mm-hmm. because again, we live in societies where we often uh uh, are questioned we then question mm-hmm. ourselves of, mm-hmm. about whether or not that is enough yeah and I think you're also highlighting like how in research is always the data where's the data where's the data but sometimes there's not data for the things that we're looking at and we're talking about and like there are people who aren't asking these questions because people are being shot down their ideas are like well it's not supported in the data so don't talk about it but it's like quantitative data Right. right. Like if we don't have these conversations and we're not doing these things, then it won't ever be in the data. Mm-hmm. So being able to acknowledge that, like, it's enough. If your experience is real to you, like more than likely, you're not the only person. And so going out on a limb and being able to take that idea and make it big and make it your own um, is something I'm definitely learning. And I, I contend and agree with that. Definitely. Yeah, I do too, Brianna. And that's one of the reasons I favor qualitative research um, for that exact reason, because I feel like it creates space for a researcher to factor in and, you know, bring into the context their lived experience, right? So a lot of times we're supposed to be, as researchers, objective and removed from the topic that we're researching. When in reality, the researcher's lived experience shapes the questions that are asked, the way Mm -hmm. data is collected, who the data is collected from, who they collaborate with. Mm -hmm. All of those things end up impacting the research in so many different ways. And so I think it doesn't make any sense for us to think of ourselves as objective beings when we're pursuing any any type of research. But... Mm -hmm. um, that again is one of the reasons why I really love qualitative work is because it doesn't erase you as the person conducting the work. Yeah and so I think around this like me search conversation one of the things I wanted to ask you all was how did you all go about relearning or unlearning this like strong black woman socialization while you all in graduate school and even now like how have you all gone about relearning redefining what that looks like and just kind of figuring that out what has that been like for y'all a journey (laughs) 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 and part of part of me was like oh some of that's gonna have to be offline though but I mean it's it's a journey right because it's it's counter-cultural to society it's counter-cultural to academia Mm. Um, and it's countercultural t- within our own communities, right? Mm. But I think for me, again, that that question of may I be kind to myself and that kind of aha moment. And then also I think coming to terms with the fact that no matter what I did, how much I did, it was never going to be enough for academia. 
Mm. And I was like, if it's never going to be another academia, I might as well be out here living my life. Mm. <laughs> right? Like, why, why am I out here not eating so I can see this client or write this email when at the end of the day, mm. academia is still going to ask for more. Mm-hmm. And I, I got to a point where I was like, nah, <laughs> I'm good. I'm not, I'm not going to keep living this life. Um, but it has been a journey and I find myself, uh, in, in the longer that I do this work, the more that I do this work that, yeah, it's, it's a journey and it's a process. And I just have to continue to be patient with myself because there are times, you know, when I got my first faculty position where that urge pops back up, right. That workaholism pops back up, this need or this pressure to prove oneself pops back up you know when I was going up for my third year review and thinking about how I'm how I'm doing in terms of being on track for tenure there goes that Mm. workaholism creeping back up and so it's just been a continued process Mm. but I'm grateful for mindfulness I'm thankful for being in like-minded community also with other women who are going through this process as well and how we've been able to hold each other accountable before Dr. Abrams answers, I want to just say that one of the things that really transformed me, the I want to say the week we met, and this is in 2016 that I remember, is that we were talking, uh, we were doing like a round table and we were giving each other advice and soliciting advice from our mentors. And I remember we were having the conversation about tenure and Dr. Watson Singleton, this is uh, what just reminded me of it. And I remember Dr. Abrams said, I didn't come to my university for tenure. I'm not working for tenure. Like maybe I'll stumble upon it because of all the work that I accomplished along the way. But certainly this work is valuable and it's important to me, but I'm not here to kill myself for what you consider, right? The next milestone for me to to hurdle. I guarantee you guys, she's perfectly on track. She can accomplish anything that she wants to, (laughs) right? But that value that says, right, I'm here to do this work. I'm not going to kill myself for these, right? Having to work twice as hard to get the same accomplishment. Um, That just really helped kind of me reframe even the, the, publisher parish right the mindsets that we had at the time um so thank you dr watson singleton even for sharing that with us and and kind of opening up that part of your journey um and i do want to hear from dr abrams just because like i said that was so transformative even earlier on for me yeah thank you for mentioning that because that that was one of the things that just popped into my mind um I told that to my mentor when I first started the tenure track and Mm -hmm. she was sitting there like eyebrows raised, slightly nodding her head. (laughs) Like she let me finish. And then she said, I wouldn't tell that to anyone else. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And that honestly, I'm I'm really thankful that I still feel the same way. Amen. Um, I, the reason why I got into doing research on Black people um, was not so that I could earn tenure from a university. Mm-hmm. You know, my my work, the reason why I got into it is because I wanted to create some positive change in folks' mm-hmm. lives. And I feel like these arbitrary milestones that academia creates provides a pathway to erasure for your passion. Mm. or you commit to these arbitrary milestones of I'm going to publishing I'm going to pull down millions of grant dollars I'm going to get tenure I'm going to get promoted to full I'm going to get emeritus the further away you get from actually creating Mm. some Mm -hmm. positive change because academia doesn't feed on Mm. or reward people for creating change Mm -hmm. academia feeds on and rewards people who feed them, who do more of the same, who, te- yes. who talk to the same people. I don't care what you're publishing about, as long as you're publishing and getting cited. And it makes people instead of, uh, you know, I have these conversations with my colleagues, instead of the conversation when you're writing a grant being, how can I solve whatever this issue is? Or mm. how can I create more positive impact? The conversation is, how can I create something that the reviewers are going to approve. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Instead of when you get the data thinking, how can I analyze it to, to provide new information and positive change? 
the conversation is how can I separate this data in so many different ways that mm. I can fit with as mm. many papers as possible? Wow. Mm-hmm. And like that, it literally, I think, and this is one of the reasons why you end up with people who, you know, get into this pathway of being workaholics, again, working toward these milestones, these career milestones. Um, but it also is one of the reasons why by the time people get to a dissertation defense or a third year review or a tenure review, once they actually earn those things, it leaves them feeling empty because that wasn't a goal that they were chasing in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It was a hurdle that was paced, placed on their pathway that they ended up making their goal and it had mm-hmm. absolutely nothing to do with their passion. So. Saying all that to say that my most recent sort of encounter with my strong Black womanhood and just sort of reframing and relearning and reteaching um, was work-related, like experiencing this severe burnout um, that I was experiencing in academia. And I think just in, in my own personal life as well, it was a perfect storm of so many different things. Like I saw someone share on Instagram, like one thing they don't share or talk about often in academia is how for folks who are first gen and who are on track to, or actually are the highest earners in their family. Like no one talks about that pressure that you experience to keep doing more because there are so many people Mm -hmm. depending on you to continue to produce you know it's not just your career at state it maybe it's you know support for your mother or your sister or your partner or a friend or people's kids that aren't your kids you know what I'm saying like or even your actual children and all of that stuff when we take all of that on and move ourselves further down the to-do list yeah, it, mm. uh, you know, like the person in that that study said, that's when the health problems come, and that's exactly what happened to me. I started experiencing a number of physical, mental health um, conditions that ultimately I had to say, enough is enough. Mm. I, I literally like once I started talking with my providers, that they were like, you need some time off of work to tend to yourself, and I actually started doing that. I mean, I, it felt awful to drop off of people's dissertation committees and knowing that like I'm the actual subject matter expert. These other people are just on their committee. You know what I'm saying? It felt awful to drop out of job search committees when I know that my voice could make a difference in those spaces. It felt awful to tell my community partners like, I'm sorry, I can't continue the study or people, people's jobs came to an end because I was taking leave. But all of that, I feel like to Dr. Watson's point, Watson Singleton's point about, may I be kind to myself? Mm, mm. You know, one of the questions my therapist asked was, why are those people and their more important than yours? Mm. Why are those students more important than you? Mm -hmm. Why is your family more important than you? And it's, it's a paradigm shift to start to see yourself as just as important and mm-hmm. deserving of your own time, effort, and energy mm-hmm. as everyone else that you love and care about. So I, I definitely agree. It's it's a journey. I'm still on the journey. I, and I'm, yeah. you know, I see strong black womanhood show up in so many different areas of my life. So I feel like the more I grow, the more I learn, the more I'll keep confronting that identity and trying to reteach and relearn you just taught me so much wow yeah you just pushed my my therapist right because oftentimes we talk about the need to put the oxygen mask on ourselves first but Mm -hmm. it is it is always for the next step that says you you're doing this so you can help others right you put on yourself first so that you can but okay let's just stop right here maybe I want to breathe for a second, right? <laughs> How can we take that and say, yeah, maybe I am as important. And maybe that's the bottom line right now. Yeah. And I definitely, being like a third year graduate student, I, geez, Louise, I felt like it's crazy because I see how I have like internalized some of like strong black womanhood in my life as like a graduate student. And so 
to be in a space right now and hearing women who went through this a similar journey but like y'all show the grace and the things and y'all talk about ways that y'all have created space for yourselves in a space that genuinely will not do it for you and so I will literally retweet all of that because people (laughs) will not retweet that like people will not they keep saying work harder do the things make the you know get the pubs get the this get the that but like nobody ever says it's okay if you don't and y'all are saying like it's okay if you don't you're still y'all are still very much so successful and y'all take breaks and y'all take time for yourselves and you are kind to yourself and people don't say Mm. that like people don't give you those messages especially as like you said first gen but just being black in academia in general, like people don't say that because it's like, you're doing something that people don't do often. So you should be the best. You should work harder than everybody else. The odds are already up against you anyway, but just because that's my situation doesn't mean that has to be my situation. Like just because the odds are there doesn't mean I have to do all of these extra things in order to stay alive for these white people. Like, it's not about y'all. And I genuinely appreciate that because I needed to, I needed to hear that for my own journey of like, extend yourself some grace. Like, I literally had a meeting with Aisha today and I was like, okay, me trying to defend my thesis in like six weeks is not realistic. And like that pressure that I had was some of my own because of these expectations. But I had to say, like, it's okay. Like, you still going to get it done. It's still going to be great work. It's going to take a little longer. And so hearing that from y'all has made me feel like, damn, you're doing it. You're doing the right thing. You're learning. So I really appreciated that. I appreciate you you sharing that, Brianna. There's two things I wanted to say. The first is how I've created that for myself has... Mm evolved with the more agency I get I want to acknowledge Mm -hmm. that there are certain things I have I am able to create for myself Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as a faculty member that I did not create for myself as a graduate student because I had the strategy of getting out successfully Mm -hmm. and with that said though I think sometimes people think that it's either or Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to understand that freedom can be found even in the constraints, right? That there Mm -hmm. is space for freedom, there is space for rest, even within the constraints of graduate school. Mm -hmm. The second thing I wanted to say is I remember talking to a, a mentor and I was, you know, tripping about something and she, and I was like, how do I let this go? Or, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. And she was like, girl, get you some business. And what's interesting is I feel like I have been able to carry that with me in other ways because mm. part of what's allowed agency and autonomy and freedom to come into my life is to also get me some business. And what I mean by that is creating revenue streams, creating opportunities that exist outside of academia. Mm-hmm. Right? I think wow. for a lot of us, we invest so much time and energy into <sighs> academia because it feels like our only lifeline. Mm-mm. But girl, get Can't you some be. business. Hey. Can't be. I love it. <laughs> Hashtag get you some business. <laughs> I and love that too. Yeah. Thank you so much for dropping that, Jim. I think that's one of the reasons I could go into spaces and tell people tenure is not my goal. Somebody offered me a job at a a, like top five institution in this country recently and it was a tenure track position and I said I don't desire to have any tenure track positions this is the position that I want if y'all are entertaining that then I can go and friends that I was telling this are like girl you crazy like this is an amazing institution amazing opportunity how could you turn that down? But it's because I have some business <laughs> and, and I have freedom and um, agency to say like, I can choose my, my income streams mm-hmm. and I don't need a job from any of these institutions to be able to not just survive, but to live the kind of life that I want to live. If I work for you, it's a privilege, not the mm-hmm. other way around. 
So could you, could you, either one of y'all, because I know you both have, um, and Dr. Abrams, I'll say that we've done it together, right? Uh, the idea of having both and the idea of creating space for both and the idea of allowing the space for both, right? So we had writing groups and writing meetings, and I could tell you when the time comes for that to switch to a support group, baby, <laughs> it becomes a support group, right? And you have to provide that space so that you are able to maintain, not working towards this arbitrary goal that academia has set for you, but so that you're able to continue the work that you want to be able to do. Um, so could you talk a little bit about how you have created that agency, how you created that space and carved out both space for being productive and doing your work and maintaining kind of your mental health, your physical health, if I want to talk about my kidney infection from third year, right? How do you, how do you balance the two? Yeah, I feel like there's so many more things, like the two things mm-hmm. <laughs> that are balanced. I, again, mm. I love the word um, that Dr. Watson Singleton used, journey. It's, it's something that, like, I don't have it entirely figured out. It's something that I'm continuously figuring out. Therapy has been a great aid. I, one of the things that really struck me when I first started therapy, my therapist said, you know, it's your job to take care of and look out for Black women and help them improve their health. And it's my job to take care of and look after you and help you improve your health. And I wow. burst into tears. Wow. <laughs> burst into tears this was like call number one and I just told her like no one has ever said anything like that to me Mm. you know and so I think one it, it was moving to me in a number of ways because I didn't even know like that's all that I was signing up for and all that I was gonna get yeah um but through the therapeutic process, one of the things that I've also learned and to answer your question is I can't expect people to know how to meet my needs Mm. and to help me. So a big part of balance for me has been asking other people for help. And a lot of times I was just, I just help people. I see if somebody else need help, why can't somebody just help me? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I said, I was overwhelmed. (laughs) Don't I look stressed? I told them, you know what I'm saying? They can see I ain't I'm eat today. Like, come on, Jess. Send Jen, me a lunch. Jen, you know what I'm you're loud. You're loud. You're loud. You're loud. <laughs> wow. Yeah. They know I haven't been on vacation in a year. Why isn't anybody just sending me on vacation? They see this email that I sent at 4 a.m. Did I do they think I'm up there for fun? Come on. You go. Exactly. <laughs> and and I wanted people to just. take initiative because that's what I do that's how I care for people Mm. but what my therapist was helping me understand is everybody's not like you Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean they don't love you or want to support you or be there for you any less sometimes you're gonna just have to tell people straight up what you need from them Mm. how Mm. they can help you and I was really resistant. You know, I did not want, I just really wanted people to figure out my needs and just show up for me. Wow. But it was really transformative once I figured out how to start telling people, one, that I'm not okay. Mm-hmm. Because when people Ooh. ask you, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. No, nah, I'm struggling, sis. <laughs> Today is an awful day, you know? Mm. Oh, okay. Some people would ask, how can I help? boom, there's a pathway. And if some people didn't ask, you know, figuring out how to send a text message or hop on the phone with somebody and say, hey, this is what's going on with me. And I ain't trying to bring your day down. But if you got a couple of minutes or if you have resources or if you have time, this is what I need. Wow. And offloading some of the things and communicating to people my needs has really been, oh my God, transformative and helping me find balance. Um, I'm definitely prone to workaholism. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I ask for from my circle is like, if you see me doing too much, gently tell me that I'm doing too much. Mm-hmm. Gently tell me that you think it might be time for me to take a break. Gently ask me, when, when's your next break <laughs> coming up? Have you planned a break? Let's sit down and plan some time off. 
so yeah, balance has been a journey and I'm, I'm still figuring it out, but a big part of it is asking other people for help personally and professionally. So mm-hmm. not thinking I can do everything on my own or not trying to anymore, reaching out to people for collaborations, putting myself out there more so people know what I do. And that has also transformed into collaborations. And honestly, I feel like I'm coasting now. Mm-hmm. I have more grant funding than I've ever had. And I feel like I'm coasting, but it's because I have collaborations. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's because like these people aren't just on my grant to be on it, or I'm not just on theirs to be on. Like, we're actually equitable partners in doing the work. Mm-hmm. And it makes the burden easier to carry. Many hands make a light load. So come on. Wow. That's been one of my biggest things. Like literally, <laughs> it takes a village and don't try to do it all yourself personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. And it takes a strong person to ask for help. I know that we mm-hmm. all consider ourselves strong. I know one of the things I've started telling you guys, my friends, my girlfriends is you are so strong and soft and feminine and gentle, right? Like there is so much balance that is necessary to maintain. Yeah, I just want to echo the importance of asking for help, being able to appropriately delegate, being well matched in your collaborations, right? Mm. I think that's what you were saying. It's not just mm-hmm. about collaborating and connecting, but we got mm-hmm. to be matched. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to be able to trust that you can carry your load. Mm-hmm. Um, for me too, I think doing multiple things and making space for academic life grants, private practice, business things, required me also to take a step back and to really consider what strategies needed to be done from a financial wellness standpoint. Part of what was motivating doing all the things is because I felt like I needed to financially. When really I was clear Mm -hmm. that I want to make more and do less. That is my that is my guiding ethic right now. I want to make more and do less. And with that in the background, it has required me to become savvier as it relates to my financial wellness and to think about what I say yes to, what I say no to in terms of is it setting me up to make more and do less? Um, and so I, I think... Sometimes too, if we're thinking about making more, it means doing more, but I'm clear, I don't want to do more. (laughs) That has required learning more about like passive income streams, right? Right. Learning about Mm -hmm. investing, learning about getting these student loans paid off, you know, like (laughs) and collaborating and reaching out to peers who've Mm -hmm. been able to make it through that uh, NIH loan repayment uh, process (laughs) successfully. But it's, it's required also looking at other areas of my life mm. and really thinking about, really thinking mm. in terms of what's sustainable. Mm. Anything that I create and build, just because I created and build it doesn't mean that I have to keep it, but mm. also being intentional about, am I just doing this because it seems the thing to do mm-hmm. or like, Am I doing something that really is going to be sustainable? And is it moving in the direction of making more and doing less? Wow. Wow. I got, oh, like, I literally felt a little tears in my eyes. I said, oh, my God. Um, wow. I think uh, this, this, oh, my gosh. I don't even have words because, like, <laughs> the way this is speaking to me, but also, like, I want our listeners to really understand that like these are gems and these are things that are necessary, not just for like an academic mindset, but like life in general of like, you can say no and it's okay. You know, and somebody told me a couple of weeks ago, like things that are for you will come to you and the things that miss you are not for you. And like, you can say no to those things. And that does not mean that you are missing out on anything and also being able to be intentional about your time like that is something that I've had to definitely learn as a graduate student and like you mentioned Dr. Watson Singleton like the the responsibilities are different you know like what I can really do with my time is not really like low-key it's not really my time but like being able to still be able to create boundaries around that of like okay 
I don't work on a certain day of the week. Like that's just a thing for me. Or like, I will say no, if it is not feasible, I'm going to say no, you know, like I don't have to be a part of every opportunity and everything to show that I'm doing the work that means a lot to me. And I also don't need to say yes to everything just to please other people. Um, so realizing that these things are important in academia, but I feel like these are like life gems that people, I want people to take away because like that intentionality, that purpose, that passion, that following your path and knowing that that's your path and also being able to know that like that path can change over time. Like what you were doing in graduate school may not be what you're doing as like a junior faculty member. What you're doing in undergrad may not be what you're doing in graduate school and being able to be patient with yourself is something that like I 10 out of 10 retweet but also like am grateful to have y'all say in this space because like mm. I said these are not conversations that people are having like people are not giving us these messages as black academics as people like these are not the messages that we get so I am extremely grateful to be here and to like hear this and to yes. be poured into like this like 10 out of 10 recommend wow wow yes. truly I hope you guys were taking notes all those of you who are listening, I do want to provide a formal opportunity for them to figure out how to come in contact with you. Understand that these gems that they are dropping are constantly dropped on their social media. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to take up their time and tell you to email them for a one-on-one, but certainly <laughs> they are about the business that they preach. So certainly follow along mm -hmm. with them on social media so that you can get some of these concrete tips and strategies. Dr. Watson Singleton is always dropping ways to be mindful in moments. Dr. Abrams, mm -hmm. come on, she's going to tell you how to maximize your peace and the work that you're able to do. You can sign up for any of her institutes, but let me be quiet. Could you guys just take a couple seconds and tell people how they can contact, follow you, tell them anything exciting that you have in the works? Yeah, so folks can follow me on Instagram at nws underscore uh, wellness. Folks can also reach out to me on my website, nwswellness.com. And in terms of some exciting updates, again, follow me on Instagram. As Brianna mentioned, we have an app that's coming out specifically for Black folks called Blackfulness. It is a mindfulness <laughs> app that has been scientifically supported to yes. reduce stress, to improve wellness, to improve how we manage our emotions. The plan is for us to have our soft launch in February and our full launch in May. And so feel free to uh, follow us to stay up to date on those updates. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that is huge. Congrats. It's so necessary. So necessary. Yes, I need to download it. Wait to download it. Wait, can we download it like right, 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 right now? Or later? Not right, right, right now. <laughs> okay, <laughs> soon. Okay, soon. I, well, I definitely will be looking out on social for when it drops. Can't Turn your wait. notifications on. I need to do that too. Dr. Abrams, how can we find you? Yes, yeah, so you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Dr. Jasmine Abrams. Um, also, it, and I, you know, definitely respond when I can to DMs. If, you know, it's been a little bit and DM me, DM me again, baby. <laughs> okay, sometimes they get lost. Um, email is also a great way and you can find that contact information on my website, www.drjasmineabrams.com. And as Aisha mentioned earlier in the conversation, some of the exciting things I'm looking forward to are the writing retreats that I've been hosting for early career faculty members, um, postdocs, assistant professors, and, you know, the, the grad students are always beating down my DMs, like, what about us? So I'm, I'm, you know, finagling something for the graduate students as well. So y'all be on the lookout for that. I'm gonna try to put together a domestic um, writing retreat, but still, you know, give y'all the same luxuriousness as well. Okay, I know y'all need that. And yes, yeah, I was mentioned before, also we have programs dedicated to helping people be both productive um, while still making time for their wellness. And this is both at the graduate student level and the early career faculty level as well. 
Wow. We stand. We Literally. Stand. <laughs> Truly. Literally. Thank you. Wow. thank you thank wow. you thank you so much so much for your time today we appreciate this conversation of course there is so much more that we could say we will follow up off the air and continue this conversation <laughs> uh for our listeners please remember you can send any questions that you have to the empower lab at gmail.com we are going to do a q a at the end of the session please check out our racial trauma guide our public health messaging campaign our care package for racial healing and any of our other exciting and initiatives that you were interested in on Instagram and Twitter. We are at the Empower Lab. You guys are listening to Black and Empowered on Podbean or iTunes. We really appreciate you guys. We're going to insert some outro music here. Thank you so much for your time. Boom, boom, boom. Woo! More fire.